I have so many clients that look at us and say, well, we have PMOs. What, how is this different? And I think the biggest difference that I've noticed around that line is this idea of tracking impact, not tracking activity. Nine times out of 10, a PMO is set up and it's tracking a work plan. They're watching the project line move across the page and they're saying, we're on time, we're on time. And what's missing is to say, are we driving to the impact? Independent of the activity, we can be ahead behind, but are we achieving the impact that we set out to achieve? From McKinsey and Company, I'm Sean Brown and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. That was Nick Waugh, a partner in our Denver office, sharing his insights on why the Project Management Office, or PMO, should actually track impact rather than activity during a transformation. Nick leads our implementation practice in North America, helping clients translate strategy into impact. And he's with us today to talk about implementation, how to make sure that a transformation actually sticks and delivers its intended benefits in both the short and the long term. We'll also discuss the results of our recent global survey on implementation best practices. Nick, welcome. Big shop, happy to be here. Also with us today is Olaya Montes, a partner in our Madrid office, where she leads Orphos, a McKinsey unit whose client work is focused on long-term transformation support, project management, capability building, and change management. Essentially, Olaya helps clients manage large transformation projects all the way through to final implementation. Olaya, thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here today. And finally, we have Nick Robson. Nick's a consultant in our Atlanta office and a leader in our implementation practice. And he also led the research that we'll discuss today. Nick, it's great to have you here today. It's great to be here. Thank you. So since we have two Nicks with us today, I'm actually going to include the first letter of each of their last names. So this one is a question for Nick W. Uh, Nick, let, let's just talk a little bit about why McKinsey implementation has these insights and what it does. This is a fairly new service for our firm, relatively speaking, right? Yeah, thank you very much. So about 10 or 15 years ago, in response to requests from our clients, we started to build a capability that really was around sustaining long-term change and really thinking about how do you achieve the impact from the strategies that we often help our clients create. And so for the last 15 years, we've been working with clients across the globe on what we defined as implementation. I know many of us talk about it and think about it differently. And as we've been on this journey, we felt like it was important for us to put out some thinking around what we think it's going to take to be those that are more successful in implementation versus what we find is a large percentage that, that aren't as successful. And so uh, from that, we, we produced the Global Implementation Survey. Cool. Thanks, Nick. And now, Nick Robson, uh, you led this research. How long have you been doing this survey and, and what are some of the headlines from this one? Awesome. Yeah. So uh, this is the third iteration of our survey and many things were similar to, to what we've done in the past. So uh, a pretty wide spectrum of folks that we, we surveyed over 750 respondents that had experience with transformations and implementation and over 290 C-suite executives really across the globe. The thing that I think was a little bit different in this particular survey compared to the last uh, sets of surveys and research is, you know, this time we really wanted to zone in and understand better um, what it took to be what we would call a, a really good uh, top performer or long tail implementer. In other words, who are the folks that were able to actually not only achieve uh, the, the transformation goals that they set out to, to achieve, 
but also we're able to sustain them over the long term. And so what we found was three quarters of respondents say that implementation capabilities are more important now than five years ago. And those that are actually able to do it extremely well, those top performers that we mentioned, are actually able to achieve uh, greater than 2x higher EBIT growth per annum. But we also find that it is also becoming increasingly challenging. So more than 50% of the value that we see that's lost in transformation is actually in the execution and sustained phases. And when we look at this kind of subset of, of, of folks that are able to achieve their transformation goals and sustain them over three years, it ends up being only about 12% or one in eight. Now, the good news is these folks actually exhibit a, a pretty common set of characteristics, a pattern, so to speak, um, that can teach us a lot about you know what it takes to be really successful in this realm and really sustain things long term. And so that is, you know, one, they maintain implementation rigor across stages. So in other words, they actually, you know, don't just focus on the beginning parts of transformations, but also really are focused on rigorous implementation all the way through towards the end. They focus on people, so they lock in change by upgrading their talent. And then the third piece is uh, that they invest the right resources needed for transformation success. Yep. So Nick, uh, a thing that I would add to this is that implementing well is sort of an institutional capability that organizations can and must build and manage, right? And it can become a great source of competitive advantage. So we call this having almost a superpower, right? There is, you know, that capability that allow organizations to set themselves apart from other competitors. Thanks, Nick R. And thanks, Alaya. Um, so the companies that have that superpower that you just referred to, they generate double the EBIT than others, right? Nick R., how did you arrive at that finding? We looked at the 750 or so respondents with the transformation experience, and we asked them what their estimated EBIT growth was uh, in the past five years. And we found some pretty astonishing stuff, which is um, they had more than double uh, the, the compound annual EBIT growth compared to all other respondents. And really, as you look at that over the long term, it ends up being extremely, extremely significant. And so there's really a, a really good business case to not just having a great strategy, but maintaining the rigor uh, to, to implement it as a kind of a superpower. And so uh, again, as we looked into the research, we asked folks, where were they losing most of their transformation value uh, that they set out at the beginning? And some of it is, you know, even at the beginning where they aren't ambitious enough in target settings. So you see about 23% or so um, that lose uh, value because they, they just don't set goals that are high enough um, and, and a few other places as well. But one of the things that really sticks out to us as folks that, you know, try to translate strategy into impact is that over 50% of the value that's lost in transformations is actually in the execution and sustaining phases of transformations. So really, really significant. And, you know, Nick, I might add to this that it, it, this is probably not uncommon. I mean, I see this in my clients, as I'm sure all of us do, where change programs begin, transformations begin, and there's a lot of excitement and energy in thinking about what is the aspiration? What is the target? Um, how do we set this thing up? You know, oftentimes we see this is when people get fully dedicated to a project is at the early stages. There's excitement around a kickoff. And then as this chart would imply, we start to see that, that excitement kind of decrease over time. And, you know, you get into the throes of day to day, you get into the throes of the actual implementation itself. People go back to their day job, executives move on to the next big thing. And so I think that's where one of the main takeaways for today that we'll continue to hit on is, 
how do you keep that excitement and how do you keep those fully dedicated resources and how do you have that infrastructure in place all the way through execution into the sustainment phase? Indeed. So I understand half the potential value can leak through the execution and sustaining phases. That's pretty stark. How did you measure that and over what period of time and how many companies actually end up achieving the full value of their transformations? I would say I think about 50% or so achieve the transformation goals. As you continue to ask, okay, well, did you sustain them for a year? Did you sustain them for three years? It ends up being kind of like flipping a coin. So did you achieve your transformation goals? It ends up being about one flip of a coin. Did you end up achieving your transformation goals for you know two, one or two years? That ends up being another flip of the coin. And then as you go down to the you know, real long tail top performers, are you able to achieve your transformation goals and sustain them over more than three years? That ends up being about three flips of a coin or one eighth of a population. And so what we find is that actually it's a lot harder than we thought to sustain uh, over the long term. Indeed, it really sounds that way. Um, Olaya, you work with clients on these transformations all the time. Are you seeing similar patterns? So in many cases, I think that Nick mentioned this before, there is a lot of excitement. You see, you know, an improvement over the first 12, 15 months of a transformation. And then as soon as, you know, you remove attention from there to the next thing, right? So that improvement disappears, right? So reverting back to your previous situation is a common threat that you need to be aware of. And then the second point you mentioned is also true, right? Some transformations, they are aimed to have incremental, you know, benefits for the organization over time. And in reality, you get to the first stage, but then you never, you know, walk up the next one. Thanks, Olaya. And so Nick R., do you find that this focus on sustaining the transformation has risen since the previous surveys? So we actually asked um, transformation kind of respondents from this survey the extent to which that they think implementation capabilities are important versus five years ago. And so what we see is that actually three quarters respondents that took part in transformations believe that implementation capabilities are more important or significantly more important than five years ago, which is pretty fascinating. But actually the thing that was most fascinating to me as we kind of did this research was actually um, when we clicked a level deeper. Yeah, you would think that those that did not achieve their goals would think that implementation capabilities would be more important, but that's actually not the case. It's, it's actually that those that were top performers were more than twice as likely to say that implementation capabilities were, are significantly more important versus five years ago. And so these are folks that have implemented well and they're kind of drinking the Kool-Aid and they really are now understanding how important it is. And these Sorry, I was just about to to jump in, Sean, uh, if you don't mind. I think that think about, you know, 15, 20 years um, back, typically you would win, you know, the big prize, right? If you had the, the, the most fantastic idea. But um, I believe that we are all aware that today that's not always enough, right? So you may have like the greatest and most brilliant idea, but apart from that, you also need to, you know, implement it properly and execute it fast because the pace at which we move now, it's very different from the pace that we used to have 10, 15, 20 years ago. I don't know if your question was on that direction, Sean, sorry. <laughs> well, I was only going to say, I, you know, it's interesting because I led the research that this is built on uh, four or five years ago, and we asked the same question then. And the results were similar. So if you think about four or five years ago, respondents said, 
that, you know, implementation capabilities are more important than they were five years prior to that. And then we asked the question again this time. I mean, I think it just goes to say what, you know, people are realizing that in the, in the changing environment in which we live, if you think about what we just all came out of with COVID and the new ways of working that many of us are trying to figure out, these capabilities are just increasingly more important. And I would venture to guess that when we run this again in four or five years, it will still be increasingly important. And so uh, Alala's point uh, resonates very much for me is that the um, the idea is certainly important and is certainly a big piece of it, but actually translating that into impact, whether that's revenue or cost or what have you, um, has become more and more important and I think will continue to become more and more important, which naturally begs the question, well, what the heck then are implementation capabilities? So maybe before we get to that, Nick, I wonder if you could just clarify the definition of transformation for our listeners, because it can often mean anything from minor cost reductions to full-blown operational and cultural revamps. So were there any key markers that you used to define transformation? Well, I'll respond from the survey perspective. And I think that the, the broader question actually, though, is how do you define a transformation? I'll, I'll leave that harder question to Elia and, and Nick W. But in the survey itself, you know, we kind of left it to the audience to and the respondents to, to kind of decide to themselves, you know, what to what extent the, the work that they did was a transformation. Um, so, so nothing kind of really hard in the survey itself. But uh, in terms of the harder question, I don't know, Nick, uh, Nick or Eli, if you have me. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to take a shout out. So I think there's, you, you said the word marker, Sean, and I think there's like three that I would highlight. One is usually it's something that is um, bigger than just one area. So it involves across silos, across business units, Maybe it's enterprise-wide, but it's something that is not just targeted. It's something that's quite large. I think that would be one. I think two is it has a ambitious target associated with it. So, you know, six to eight percent earnings growth year over year to me is not transformative. If you said we're gonna make an S-curve and try to get something higher, to me that does become more transformative. So the second I would say is there's a target associated with it. And so above and beyond continuous improvement. And then the third I would say is usually there is a concerted effort. There's infrastructure, like a you know a transformation office might be set up, or you've got a chief transformation officer focused on it. But you're resourcing it differently than you would the day to day business. But allow I don't know if you would add anything to those. Markers. Yeah, I mean I think that the fourth thing that I would add is that you know transformations they typically imply significant changes in the way people. Uh, do things and they, they change their mindsets and behavior, right? So they're, they're, when we talk about transformations, there is a significant shift in the way in which people behave at the workplace, in the way in which people you know, actually do things. So Olaya, which of those elements of transformations do you find that your clients and other companies struggle with the most? Is it their resourcing or defining what success is or, or is it something else? I find it quite interesting, this resourcing, right? Because what I, I find in most of my clients is that we very quickly get to an alignment on what our ambition is and what we want to do. But by the time that we need to discuss, you know, how do we put talent against those priorities or how do we assign like IT budget against those priorities? That's when we, you know, typically have a very big challenge and actually um, like under resourcing, you know, transformations or being too optimistic, right? At the at the very beginning, um, is one of the you know big pitfalls that I typically see uh, in in my clients. Sean, yeah, Sean, I would add, you know, I've got a client, um, maybe to bring this to life a little bit, who 
he's a senior executive. He was being, we were talking to him about, you know, being the chief transformation officer for a large program. And um, he, he had a lot of the ambition, but he had a lot of hesitancy to accept the role. And his feedback to us was like, look, you know, if I stay on my current track leading this operations group, the path is quite blazoned for me, right? Like you, you know the path to the next role. You know what success is defined as. If I step into this transformation role, like I'm getting out of the engine room of the day-to-day operations to go run this thing. Like, am I sure it's the CEO's priority? Am I sure I'm going to get in front of the board with this topic? Um, and I think that what he would probably share now in retrospect is he has gotten more exposure. He's gotten more understanding of the business as a whole. And it has allowed him to kind of see things differently than if he had stayed on the, the tried and true track. And so I think that just speaks a little bit to the, the the resourcing need and how many people actually think about it is, you know, many people just don't want the job because they think that the, it's not going to be the path to the next role as their current job is because they just know it so well. Yeah. And I, I think this does come back uh, to the definition of what a transformation is, right? Because the executive you were talking about, he only wanted to take that role if he thought he was going to truly be able to drive impact across the entire organization at a level that uh, rose to, uh, at a level that the board really cared about. It's a risk, right? It's a, You're absolutely right. It's a risk. S- super. So, so I'm curious now, what did the survey reveal in terms of the most important element of success in implementing transformations? Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think one, implementation best practices and rigor uh, in all stages. So making sure that uh, you're rigorously implementing not just at the beginning, but also, you know, when we're sustaining and, and through execution, when it's a little bit less sexy as, as kind of Nick and Elia have mentioned previously. Two is focusing on capability building. And this actually is one of the most important factors, certainly as well, to make sure that we're able to lock in the change and, and make sure that people are able to adopt the change as well. And then the third one is, of course, that that resourcing the transformation in line with goals. Uh, each of these characteristics is great in and of itself. As we kind of look at each of these characteristics, we see that it can have somewhere between 1.4 to 1.9x kind of impact on likelihood of being successful relative to the average. But the real value is actually, you know, as we go into the, the, the data and go into the research, that those that are able to do all three of these things together are actually able to more than triple their odds of success in being able to achieve their transformation goals and sustain impact long term which is a massive, massive impact and indicator of kind of what what uh, is needed to be successful. Thanks. So would you say that any one of these is more important than the others? Uh, well, I, I was just going to share what's interesting is I when we did the survey a few years ago, um, I remember um, a client who we were talking to the survey results about, not, not dissimilar to this. She said to me, yeah, look, I, I get that like, you know, there's a bunch of things that people do that differentiate themselves, but what are the two? Like, what are the two that I just need to really focus on? And I remember saying, having the conversation with her and I was like, I can't tell you the two. It's all of them. Like, you kind of have to do all of them. And I think that just inherently we believe like the Pareto, like two of these are going to have more impact than others. Um, and so I think it's, it's that here lies the challenge. And I think what we have learned as a firm over the last 15 years of doing implementation in large scale transformations is that everybody kind of assumes that if I just resource this, I'll be fine. Or if I put my best leader as my chief transformation officer, they will figure it out. And I think what we have learned working alongside them and being in the trenches is that you have to bring all of these things together in equal parts 
And the minute that you start to lose them, I mean, I almost feel like it's a puzzle that we should illustrate this as because the minute one of those puzzle pieces is missing, the whole thing tends to fall apart where you're not achieving the results that you could have and you're not sustaining them over time, which I know is a frustrating answer to hear because we all want the hack. Tell me what the hack is and I'll just figure it out. Um, And this is where it it requires really hard work and dogged determination to try to make these things happen over the long term. Great. Thank you. Um, So- how do the top performers, the ones who sustain their transformations over the long term, actually pull this off? So this is this is probably a good lead-in to uh, talk about some implementation best practices. As we actually look at top performers, what we find is that they're just rigorous implementers overall and do all these things kind of in equal parts. And so I can talk through a few of these here, but on aggregate, we see, I think, um, that that the best implementers are about 1.4 times more likely to demonstrate these these practices than others. So, you know, the first one, I think, Sean, to one of your previous questions is embedding adaptability and resilience through continuous improvement into the organization. And this sounds a little bit nebulous, but really this means the ability to actually not just have one set of goals and one set of activities uh, in a transformation, but to continuously reassess as you're going through it whether it's working and continuously improve not only you know the initiatives that you're you're trying to implement, but also the processes by which you're implementing as well. And so that leads into the next one, which is implementing systems to embed change. And so what we find here is that those that uh, are most successful not only have a rigorous program management office or transformation office to you know, lead the transformation and push it along, but also in the long tail of the transformation actually embed that PMO and TO into the organization so that it is part of the fabric of it after the, the transformation has kind of wound down. So many people are actually not doing it and then really just kind of letting letting the transformation fall. I think that another kind of big focus is making sure it isn't just a focus on performance, but also looking at incentives for people to be linked to the, the transformation goals, allocating the top talent, building capabilities, and then most of, one of the more important ones as well is senior leaders role modeling change. So actually having the leadership buy-in and leadership support to, to do this work. I was actually wanted to comment on that, right? Because it makes such a big difference having senior leadership at the forefront of a transformation. It's unbelievable. So I have a client a, a couple of years back that was going through a very difficult integration of an acquisition. And it was a very successful integration at the end, but what it was really outstanding was to see the CEO and the COO of the company actually meeting every single week over a period of 15 months with the teams. And that made a very big difference because we were in the detail with them. We were signaling to them that this was the priority for the organization. And it didn't allow people to lose focus or attention, right? And that for me was a very big key of being able to integrate this new company very successfully and, you know, actually operate with uh, fantastic results over the next two to three years. Yeah, that, that really resonates for me. And and sometimes I'm sure a lot of, I mean, it's hard for senior leaders to role model the change because they've never been a part of that before. I mean, I, the, the two that I would highlight, one is putting the systems in place and I have so many clients that look at us and say, well, we have PMOs. What, how is this different? And I think the biggest difference is this idea of tracking impact, not tracking activity. Nine times out of 10, a PMO is set up and it's tracking a work plan 
they're watching them project line move across the page and they're saying we're on time we're on time and what's missing is to say are we driving to the impact independent of the activity we can be ahead behind but are we achieving the impact that we set out to achieve this is a new one for me i mean having done this for 20 years um, seeing uh, companies really think hard about what are the incentives that we're going to put in place to reward those that are involved in the transformation. And that can be monetarily. That can also just be putting things in their own performance plans. But a lot of organizations are saying, how do we take the small group that is really driving this transformation or this implementation and give them a little bit of, of uh, skin in the game, so to speak, so that they, as they achieve the impact that they're sitting out to, that they're they're rewarded for that. So that's another one that uh, I was excited to see pop up on the survey results because it's something I've been feeling a lot with my clients. Awesome. And actually, if we look at you know what happens if you start to to string these things together, like we mentioned, right? It isn't just one or two, but rather you know you kind of have to do most or all of them. And so when we look at that, um, what we find is that folks that are able to uh, perform most of these, so greater than 70% was kind of our definition, uh, compared to some or, or, or less, um, that actually enables uh, a 2x increase in likelihood of success. So likelihood of being able to achieve and sustain uh, transformation gains over the long term. The other big bucket that you identified was about the people dimension and building capabilities. How do the best implementers actually go about that? So we dug into actually how long were people sustaining their transformation gains? And then what share of those folks were uh, people that achieved all or most of their people goals. And so what we found is that in the bucket of people that actually uh, sustain their goals for a very short period of time, so less than six months, there's basically 97% of them uh, did not meet most or all their, their people goals. Say, okay, well, did you meet six, uh, your, your, um, sustain your performance goals for more than six years or six months to a year? one year to three years, greater than three years, we see almost uh, a linear kind of trend where those that are actually able to achieve and sustain the transformation goals long-term, very disproportionately are also the people that prioritize uh, and actually achieve most or all of their people goals. And again, you know, we kind of define most or all people goals by um, capability building, employee experience, talent management, that sort of thing. So it's the kind of complementing of both the, the rigorous performance and uh, driving initiatives with also people and capability building. Thanks, Nick. So are there any general operating or organizational changes that companies should make to both execute and sustain transformations? I was going to let Alal take that one. Yeah, me too. <laughs> oh, thank you, Nick uh, and Nick. Uh, so we're going to give the hard question to Alaya, right? <laughs> I mean, I normally skip the hard questions because my name is difficult to pronounce, but it doesn't seem to be working now. <laughs> You're on the secret, yeah. <laughs> so let me, I mean, uh, let me uh, see if I understood the the question correctly, right? So you were uh, asking how the operating model need to change, you know, just to make sure that you don't lose value through you know, execution and sustained phases. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so we were talking about implementation, best practices, upgrading talent and resourcing transformations. And I guess I was wondering if the org model redesign was part of the executing part that Nick had been talking about, as opposed to being part of the sustaining part, like where, do, where does it fall? Yeah. So listen, I mean, I think that all that's, that's, you know, that, 
you, you mentioned that this is part of, you know, the, the design phase and it really is, right? Because um, there are transformations um, that are better, you know, suited to uh, be successful by also changing the organizational model. There are others in which the transformation can actually happen, you know, in the current operating model, right? So it's not, let's say, it's, um, it's not a must-have that you need to change your organization to actually um, um, transform your company, right? So it, they can go together, but they can also not necessarily, um, you know, be together. What I think that is important, it comes back a little bit to, you know, that that first, you know, concept of um, building the implementation capabilities. I think that what is important is that, you know, if you are in the middle of a transformation, you take seriously this concept of building, you know, an infrastructure that allows you to run that transformation. And many times that I see, you know, my clients uh, actually um, creating something that they think is a PMO or a TO and then staffing it with, you know, 30% of this person and 20% of this other person and 10% of someone from finance and believing that that will be ingrained and will mobilize the organization. And, um, you know, that's not necessarily true. So you need to invest in that, you know, infrastructure and that has an organizational component and an operating model component. That's very key for my, from my perspective and experience. Yeah, no, I think that's a really good segue because I think kind of along to your point, it doesn't really always work if you're just kind of taking some portion of people's time. And so what we find actually in the research is that um, those that are most successful are those that really are, are kind of focused to achieve these people goals, not only in kind of capability building, so which is that middle portion, but also really managing their talent um, to to best optimize how the transformation itself runs and making sure that allocating top talent to, to critical roles, making sure that they have their best people uh, also uh, linked to the transformation and with the, the kind of um, right level of coaching as well. Maybe the other point that I thought was quite interesting as we looked into the, the survey was it wasn't just, again, this early portion of the transformation that Michelle was mentioning, where uh, a lot of these things are, are important, but rather in particular, actually, in the, the latter stages where actually having coaching in the sustained phase of transformation ends up being quite critical and links very closely to folks saying that they are like a lot less likely to lose value due to an inability to adopt new capabilities. And so, you know, particularly in this the latter phases of the transformation, uh, really, really critical to build capabilities at scale um, across your organization to be able to adopt this new way of work. Couldn't agree more. You know, I think the conventional wisdom was always to, you know, we knew we had to resource these roles. We always wondered who, well, who are, who's going to do it? And I think we, we, we said very strongly, certainly a few years ago, and I think is, is becoming more conventional as wisdom today is it's got to hurt. It's got to be a top leader that if you pull them out of their day job, it's going to hurt you, but that's really important to invest in. And, and I think we're starting to see some of that. So that's one, that's really great. I think the second thing is, is I often get asked, Hey, what's this like, what's the leadership capability that I need to have? Or who, how should I think about the leadership that's leading this? And um, I mean, we talked about role modeling. That's obviously important. But one of the things that I've observed is a leader who knows how to mobilize and navigate the organization. I mean, and that's a really hard thing to put your fingers on because it's a very soft, loosey-goosey kind of thing. 
but I've got a, a chief transformation officer, Sean, I'm working with right now. And um, he is so adept at what I would say is working the hallways. So he knows how to show up in a meeting. He knows how to, to, to say the right things and, and, and ask the tough questions. But then as soon as these meetings are over on his drive home, you know, over the weekend, he's talking to all of his peers to really understand what's happening and the mood music, which um, I think is such an invaluable skill in these, in these, in these uh, transformation programs. And the third I would highlight is the question often comes up for the people that are actually driving the change at the front line. How do we help them know how to do their day job and do this? Because for many of these 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 folks that are driving an individual initiative at the front line, we still need them to play their day job. But this is like a special project on the side, and you know many of us do that every day, and it's not a big deal. But for some of these folks that are used to coming in eight, leaving at four, you know, only working their forty hours a week, this is a tough thing because it takes nights and weekends in many cases, and they don't know how to engage their peers and influence and you know, drive a project, so to speak. So I think those are some of the capabilities as we ask the question of what are implementation capabilities. Those are some of the ones that I think are super important, Sean. Thank you. So you said that you want somebody leading the implementation whose removal from their existing role would actually be really noticed and felt in the organization. Does that mean that bringing transformation specialists in, say, from the outside is not an optimal approach? Yeah, I'd be curious a lot how what you've seen at your clients, but I, I, I think it is very hard to go out to the market and hire somebody who's been a quote unquote CTO at another company and have them come in and effectively drive this for exactly the reason we just highlighted, right? Like you got to be able to navigate the organization. You got to know personalities. You got to know the internal dynamics of politics. Um, similarly, it's really hard for a senior leader who's been in the organization for 20 years to all of a sudden start driving something that looks like this because they may be like the best sales leader that we have, but gosh, they don't know a ton about operations. And so this is where, um, I mean, frankly, we can help augment teams and we can bring in CTOs and we can help provide some of that. But I mean, frankly, I think it's it's very hard to find that that right leader. And frankly, it's where a lot of like situations fail. Thank you. So how do you get the people, to your point, Nick, uh, to start putting in even more time to secure the long-term success of their transformation? You know, many may be driven by a desire to positively impact their organization, but what are some of the other most common incentives, especially those that go beyond simple um, increases in compensation? I think that that's a very, very interesting one. There is a you know whole bunch of on, of research on, on incentives. Um, but a um, couple of thoughts there. So, so one is um, it's very you know people are motivated by many different things, not just you know their um, their you know let's say uh, financial incentives. Um, but it's you know in my experience at least, and that you know may vary with culture. But in my experience at least, it's very difficult to go against what it's written in their performance evaluation. So, you know, when you are you know talking about you know a transformation, you know one of the first things that I always recommend my clients to do is to sit with you know the HR department and actually review what are we telling people to do and what are we aiming them to do with this transformation. And it seems obvious, but it's not you know so obvious for for most of the time. So that's one thing. The second thing um, 
is, um, as I said, people get motivated with many different things. And these, you know, uh, transformations or big projects um, give an excellent opportunity uh, for a few, you know, very interesting things for them. One is for them, a lot of people that they don't typically have exposure to senior leadership to have exposure to senior leadership. And that's, that's something that they really appreciate and that they are, you know, willing to work uh, harder just to get that. And the second thing is there is a lot of value in the capability building just beyond the pure transformation. One of the other things that I typically recommend my clients to do is to think about, you know, the technical skills you need to bring to your organization to deliver on this transformation, but also the you know, soft skills that we want to, you know, embed in the organization because a lot of these soft skills, they, they are very powerful for these people to then continue with their careers, right? You know, having stronger problem solving, stronger communication skills, being able to mobilize, you know, organizations or to lead, you know, difficult discussions. Those are things that they can, you know, basically get through this, you know, uh, process if they are, you know, already planned and they value them a lot. So on that capability building point, how do the individuals involved in a transformation find time to actually develop them? I, you know, they already have really busy day jobs. They're trying to help drive the transformation. And now we're also thinking about having them help build capabilities. How do you help them navigate that? Well, I think that's the dynamic we were just talking about, right? Which is how, it, in many cases, you have to teach them this idea of prioritization. You have to teach them how to get leverage from building a team. I mean, many people believe like, I got to go do this myself. And the real power comes from creating these sub-initiative teams that are driving this. And, and many people don't know how to do that. Like, man, how do, you, how do you build a team? How do you get three or four people in a room every couple of days to work on this thing together and ask them to take time away from their day jobs as well? And so I think that um, one of the things we've learned from having done this at scale over the last 10, 15 years is that these capabilities, these soft capabilities that many people don't really think about and invest in have to be built into the program. We actually have a, a, a set of capabilities we call ability to execute that we embed as part of these programs. And there's a learning journey that depending on where you are in this, in this transformation structure, you got to go through that capability building journey, Sean, just to, to make sure that not only do you have the space, but you, you actually know how to do some of these things that people just haven't learned over the last years of their career. Thanks all. So Nick R., let's go to that last point on providing the resources necessary to sustain the implementation over the long term. What were some of the best performers reporting in the survey on how to do that? Yeah. And so, you know, we've talked about the kind of people side of things previously. This is both the people and the, the financial side of things. Investing the right resources needed uh, for transformation success. And so again, we looked at, you know, did you achieve your goals? Did you achieve them and sustain them, you know, one year, two years, three years, et cetera. And so what we find is that, um, kind of a bit motherhood and apple pie here, but those that are able to actually achieve and sustain their transformation goals long-term are those that actually are, are investing the right balance of resources. And one point I'll make there is, um, I say this word balance very specifically because, um, we actually did ask, you know, did you invest too little, the right amount, just or just right, or kind of uh, more than was needed. And so um, uh, we found that actually investing more than was needed is, is not actually helpful. So Olaya, since you had to take that hard question earlier, we're going to close with you on what you see as the key takeaways from your research and experience. 
Very good. So um, I think that we talk quite a bit about why, you know, this topic of implementation is more and more important every day, right? And it's it's quite clear that, you know, with things changing at the faster pace, you know, it's something that uh, us in our organizations, we all need to look at. If there are, you know, I mean, three very brief things I would like you to take, you know, home with you. Uh, the first one is that, you know, implementation is all about people, right? And there is not a not not an alternative to put them at the center, right? So um, whenever you you are involved, you are leading one of these, you know, transformations, think about them, think about how to build their capabilities, think to, you know, how you're gonna, this is gonna help them in, in, in building up their, you know, objectives, right? Or achieving their objectives. Second thing is around um, impact. And um, uh, my reflection here is that, you know, you cannot capture impact with a fraction of your transformation, right? So you need to invest on it. So, and that means that it's very important that you think about, you know, how you are going to build that infrastructure that is at the center of mobilizing all these many things that we saw that we need to put in place, right? Um, and the third thing is, in my experience, um, and we talk a little bit about these transformations are not linear, right? And um, you know, you plan things, but then you know what what happened is is typically different from what we plan. Um, this is you know a risk, but it's also an opportunity in my point of view because it's a great way to start embedding continuous improvement in in into the organization. And um, when you know you are you know planning for the implementation of your of your transformations, always always take into account that you know things will change, that opportunities will come, and you will need to you know embed them into into what you are doing, right? So so that notion of continuous improvement is also super key to to be able to uh, achieve and sustain impact. Awesome. This has been a fantastic conversation. Really appreciate the three of you taking the time with us today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you. And we'd also like to thank all of our listeners for joining us today. We encourage you to read the article that summarizes the implementation survey results that we discussed. It's called How to Implement Transformations for Long-Term Impact, and you'll find it on mckinsey.com. And we've also included a link in the show notes. As always, if you'd like to share your feedback or an idea for a future podcast, all you need to do is email us at ITSR at McKinsey.com. That stands for Inside the Strategy Room. You can also share your ratings and reviews on your favorite podcast player. And we'd like to thank everyone who's already done so. We really appreciate your feedback and comments. Please do keep them coming. If you enjoyed today's episode and you'd like to subscribe, you can follow our weekly series on your favorite podcast player. And that's where you can also access our entire library of previous episodes. We also offer an Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page available at mckinsey.com slash ITSR. And there you can not only easily search our prior podcasts across six major themes, but you can also access written transcripts of all of those conversations. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest publications and insights, we encourage you to sign up to our insights page available at mckinsey.com slash SCF. That stands for Strategy and Corporate Finance, or you could follow us on Twitter or X um, at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn at the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again next week inside the Strategy Room.